So we're in 1 Corinthians still. We're in chapter 4, as Pastor Tyler said. We're going to work our way through verses 1 through 4. I've got some nice little handout for you in the bulletin to kind of lead you through it. But let me set the stage a little bit for you. What we've been looking at specifically, you all ready for this? Okay. What we've been looking at is this great spiritual battle in our lives of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom, right? That's really what's going on in the church in Corinth is that these people are new converts to Jesus Christ and they're full of worldly wisdom. That's what they were raised in. And so Paul comes in and says, you, you can't live that way anymore. You can't base your life on worldly wisdom. And most of us built our lives on worldly wisdom, amen? We follow the ways of the world. We listen to the ways of the world. And it is the spiritual battle of our life. Satan is the prince of this world with his demonic army. He's coming to attack us, to try to make us worldly. He wants us to trust in the things of the world, the ways of the world. He wants to put all of our treasures in the things of the world. He's trying to get us to align with the world. Right? Or he's also doing this. He's trying to attack our flesh. We've got this weak uh, old person that lives within us, which is our flesh. And he's trying to come and get, attack us to get us to give in to the desires of the flesh. Is that not the battle of our life? So, so that's what's good. Well, here's what's amazing. Everybody goes, well, the Bible really doesn't apply anymore. This took place 2,000 years ago, actually about 1,976 years or whatever it was, almost 2,000 years ago. That was the problem in the church, and it's still the problem in the church. It's exactly the same thing going on. So, so that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at these different battlefields and situations within our life, and now he goes into this, this next one, which is which is the issue of how the church evaluates their pastors. We're going to get in my kitchen a little bit today, right? And you, could, you guys could leave in your cards. You can grade me and put it in the, in the offering box at the end. But, and Tyler, too. Put Tyler on there. I don't want to be alone in this evaluation. But the reality is, is here's what's going on in Corinth. For their whole life, they've been evaluating the philosophers, the leaders of their people, by how powerful their speaking was, how persuasive their speaking was, how intelligent they were, how entertaining they were, and how successful they were in the world. So they looked at these people, if they could come in and wow people with a speech and, and quote all the philosophers of the past with their great intellect, and it would be entertaining and moving and all this, those were the people they followed. So here's my question, has anything changed? Who are the pastors that get talked about all the time? The pastors that have bar- here. What, what do you think the number one question is when I meet with somebody, and I, whether it's a Christian or another pastor, what do you think the number one question they ask me when I say, yeah, I'm a pastor of a, of a Bible church in Aurora. What do you think the first question they ask? How big is your church? How big is your church? How many people go to your church? Here's another one, big one now. How many branches do you have? How many locations do you have? Right? How much revenue do you do you generate? Have you do you are you published? Do you have any books out there that we could read? Are you do you have a radio slot? A podcast we can follow? And by the way, who are the people that are invited to speak at the big conferences? The small little pastor from the country who's been a faithful pastor for fifty years? No, 
It's the ones that have a radio program. It's the one that can sell books, right? Hey, don't hear me on this. I'm not judging those guys. A lot of those guys I follow myself. Nothing wrong with that. But the point is, is that's not how you evaluate a pastor. That's not, do you think that's how God evaluates a pastor? And the beam is saying, okay, everybody that's published, come on up. It's not the way he's going to evaluate pastors on the day of, of judgment. Here's, here's something the Lord laid on my heart. Who do you think, based on what we know from the Bible, will receive a greater reward in heaven, Jeremiah or Jonah? Jeremiah was a faithful prophet, the weeping prophet, as he's called, but he has very little fruit in the, recorded in the book, is there? He doesn't have a lot of converts. Eventually he was killed because the Israelites were tired of hearing God's word preached at him. But Jonah, the reluctant servant, God used him to get the whole city of Nineveh to repent. Even the animals had sackcloth on at the end of that one, right? But I don't, I don't believe, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but I don't believe on the day of judgment Jonah's going to do as well as Jeremiah did based on what the word teaches us because Jeremiah was incredibly faithful to God regardless of the, the trials and persecution. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look through these texts and it's give us, give us some key things on how we should be evaluating, not just pastors. Guys, we're going to put, brothers and sisters, I'm going to put this into your kitchen a little bit too because a lot of this truth applies to how you're walking with the Lord as well. But specifically in context, he's talking about pastors and specifically he's talking about their judgment on Paul, Apollos, and Peter, right? So that's the setup. And we'll go into it from there. Uh, if you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 5, if you don't have them open yet, our brother Jay will open the word for us. And out of the reverence for God's word, I'd ask that you'd stand for the reading. Amen. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before your holy throne this morning, the Oasis Church, your church. We pray, dear Father, that you would have your way with us this morning. We pray for those that are sitting here this morning that have not surrendered their life to Jesus, that by the Holy Spirit they'd be convicted and they would surrender. I also pray that those that are sitting here who are believers but have unconfessed sin, they would go before your altar and repent. And I pray for all those that are saved and are, are, have clear consciences that they would be sanctified as we, as we study your word. 
And Lord, I pray that uh, I would be emptied of self and filled with the Spirit by your power and your purpose. May I preach the word for your glory. In Jesus' name. I'm weeping early already. So there's, there's four points we're going to look at here. I'm going to give you the outline. It's in your handout. But the four qualifications, if you will, for a minister of the gospel is service or servant. We'll talk about that. The second one is stewardship. The third is faithfulness. And the fourth I've named focus. And I'll explain that as we get to that point. So we've got four points to kind of look at as we evaluate uh, pastors or elders or really ministers of the gospel, I would say. So first is service. Service. He said, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. And what he's saying here, this is how anyone, specifically believers, but even unbelievers, should consider us, should think of us, should evaluate us. That's what this word means, regard us. When, when you're looking for a pastor or a, a minister of the gospel, you're looking for a servant. Not a powerful preacher, necessarily. Not a great intellect. I love what, what uh, Brother Ralph said. It's, it's not about how much information we have in our head. It's about how much transformation has taken place and, and, and has led us into this, this calling of God. Now, this word servant or service here, there's multiple Greek words for that. And this one specifically would be translated the under rowers. The under rowers. You know what those are? Everybody has had to see some of those movies where those are the guys in the bottom of the ship, right? And they're, they're rowing the ships where they want them to go. Now, there's hierarchy in slavery, by the way, back then. Uh, a highest slave position might be where Joseph was in Potiphar's house. He would be a high-ranking slave. And the lowest of the slaves was an under-rower. It was the, the worst place that you would have to serve out your terms or your sentences would be in that bottom of the ship. And by the way, if anything happened to the ship, all those people were typically killed. They would die in there. They couldn't escape that lower level if a hole came in the ship or they were attacked. They would typically die. So it's, it's the lowest level. No slave wanted to be an under-rower. But that's he said, exactly what pastors and ministers of the gospel should be. They should be equivalent to those galley under-rowers of a ship. What's he mean by that? He's talking about the level of sacrifice in a pastor's life. He, he has to fully, completely surrender his life to the headship of Jesus Christ. It can't be Jesus plus anything in a pastor's life. He has to be all in for the call of God. And that's the kind of servants and slavery that he's referring to when he talks about these under rowers. Not perfectly. Not perfectly, but the pastor has to be setting an example of a servant of Jesus Christ. You have to see it in them. They have to be pouring their life out for Jesus Christ within the church. As you, as you take the towel, you, you have to see that it's not about them, it's about Jesus Christ. Again, not perfectly. Pastors and elders are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But there has to be that driving force within them that they've gone through the similar things that, that Paul went through. And let me put it into a pastor's position. We, maybe when we started the pastoralship, 
we thought we were the least of the pastors. As we listened to all the radio programs, we said, well, I'm not as good as all these guys. But eventually we got like Paul. We said, you know what? I'm not even that good as compared to other believers in the church. There's many believers that are doing better than I am. And finally we get to the place Paul was, you know what? I'm just a desperate sinner like everybody else. I need Jesus as bad as anybody else does. That's when you know you've arrived at the position where you can stand up here and empty yourself, deny yourself, and follow Jesus and preach the word of God. So it's a servant. Now, I've got to bring some enlightenment to you about this, that we're not here to serve you. This is where it falls apart in most churches. We're here to serve Jesus Christ, and as we serve Jesus Christ, we then serve you. Are you with me on this? See, now let me give you some statistics that 50% of pastors drop out of ministry within the first five years, which is amazing. It's a sad reality. 50% leave the call within the first five years. You know why that is? And what's sad about it is they went to Bible college and seminary, and they spent a lot of their life studying the Word of God to prepare for that call. I believe the number one problem is is that they lose their focus and they start to think they're here to serve the church and not Christ. And let me just tell you, if you start to serve the church, man will eat you alive. You will never satisfy the desires of the church body if that's your focus. See, because everybody has different agendas. Everybody has different things they want to put on your honey pastor do list, right? Right? And if you let them fill up your list, oh, we need to get more involved in the city of Aurora. We need to get involved more in Wayside. No, we shouldn't be as involved in Wayside. We need a better children's program. And on and on the works go. So the pastors must continue to remain focused on the King of King and the Lord of Lords. And not that we don't do all those things. I'm not saying we don't. But the reality is, is we don't let man determine our agenda. We let Jesus Christ determine our agenda. And by the way, many of you get burdened with different ministries. That is typically not for a call for you to give it to the pastor. It's a call for you to get involved in that yourselves. So here's the deal. Let me just clarify that. So as this body gets burdened by different ministries and different things you think that God's calling you to do, what the, the pastors and the elders and of the leadership of the church are going to do is we're going to pray for you and pray whether this is a, what God would have for the Oasis. And as God confirms it within the leadership, then we come back to you and say, yes, God has confirmed this work. He does want the church involved with this. And now we'll come alongside of you because you're the point person in that ministry. Are you with me? And we'll help build team and we'll help finance it and everything else. But that's the way it goes. It isn't a bunch of people giving the pastor things to do. You okay with that? And it's sad. I mean, I meet many young pastors that are caught up in the riptide of ministry, desiring to meet every need, carry out every burden. And, 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 they, and what happens is they, they lose their own intimacy with Jesus Christ. They get disconnected. They get burned out. And they leave the church. Now, let me explain something to you. I told you I'd help apply this truth. So that, that's how Pastor Tyler and the elders and deacons of this church need to live. And that's how we will focus And that's why we remain faithful to this church. You good with that? Okay. So, but in your own lives, let's apply this to you for a minute. Many people will tell you what you should be doing. Have you noticed that? Every, you know, every man, every woman has a great plan for your life. (laughs) 
And, and you can't, just because, it, by the way, there's many good things to do, but there's only one best thing for you to do. God has a best thing for you to do. So just like the pastors and elders have to discern for the direction of this church, you have to pray and discern the direction for your life. Because many people invite you, hey, you know, I see you're gifted in this. Come on along with me. Let's get involved in this ministry together. You have to pray and let the Lord confirm that to you. Don't just follow those calls blindly. Because he is the one that has a wonderful plan for you. He has a work for you to do, and you need to listen to him and follow him. So that's the application for you in this truth about uh, discerning his will. Okay, so first is service. The next here is what? Stewards of the mystery of God. So what's a steward? Steward, you know, we, we get into, typically we see a lot in the Bible about a steward of a household like Joseph over Potiphar's house. It's a manager. It's a manager of something, right? It's a manager. And, and, and Joseph was the, uh, the, the steward of Potiphar's house. He was the manager of the house. What did that mean? It meant that, what, what, what do you think he'd have to do if, if you were a manager of a household? What, what would be the first thing you'd have to do? Keep order. Okay, good. We got, got a rule guy here. I like that. Okay, we got some rules we got to establish right here in this household. Good. What else you got to do when you're managing the whole household? What's that? Manage the money. Yeah, to be true, you got to manage. You got to find out how much there is. What's the income? What's the outflow? I need a budget. We got to operate this house on, right? What about inventory of food? Because, you know, in these houses, they didn't have washers and dryers and dishwashers. Well, they did. They were all people. So you had a lot of people working in the house. And so you had to figure out what kind of meals we need, how much food do we need to buy, and inventory, and how much money do we need in the future. So you get this whole management of the house issue, right? So what he's saying, the second responsibility of a pastor is to be a manager of the Word of God. To be a, to be a manager of the Word of God. A steward of the Word of God. Gadgie, it's going to be fine. So... What's the first thing a pastor needs to do to be a steward of the Word of God? Just like the household. What's that? Be in the Word. He has to know the Word. He has to know the Word of God. How else can can I manage something I don't know? You can't manage a household unless you know what's going on, and you can't manage the Word of God unless you know the Word of God. So a pastor has to spend significant amount of time studying, reading, praying, memorizing the Word of God. In fact, it's the number one duty of a pastor. He has nothing to bring to the body, to the family of God, unless he's a diligent studier, reader, memorizer, prayer warrior over the Word of God. They're empty. There's nothing to bring. We can all get busy in good works together and do all kinds of ministries, but the main thing is is he has to bring the Word of God to the body of Christ, right? It's, It's a number one responsibility of the pastors. I'm going to give you five things here uh, that makes a good manager of the Word of God, and most of these, not all of these, will apply to your own life. So the first is we have to know the Word of God. Now, I'm just burdened right now as I'm standing here. I've got to get in your kitchen again a little bit. We say this all the time, but brothers and sisters, you've got to be in the Word of God. You yourselves have to be in the Word of God. Turn off the TV. Turn off social media. 
Go get with God. Don't believe it's like, well, I need some me time. I earned it. You can justify all kinds of crazy stuff. Let me ask you, as you sit and binge and watch three, four shows in a row, three, four episodes in a row, and you turn off the TV, what is the remnant of that? Remnant. <laughs> what, what is left when you turn off the TV? Today, maybe we're going to watch the Super Bowl. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl, parts of it anyway. Anybody else going to watch the Super Bowl? That's today, yeah. So some of you are going to watch the Super Bowl. I think it's an American responsibility to watch dogs. No, I think it was my duty. So I, but the point is, is I know this already. When I turn it off, it's over. Someone won, someone lost. I saw probably a bunch of inappropriate commercials I shouldn't have even looked at, and it's over. But here's the deal. So instead, when you get home and watching, you know what, I need a break. I'm going to sit on my couch and watch one show after the other after I get done with work. Go spend some time in the Word of God. Let me tell you, so that hour and a half you spend on television, if you go spend an hour and a half with the Word of God, praying over the Word, studying the Word of God, getting on your knees, when you turn that off, what do you have left? A changed person is what you have left. You've been changed by the Holy, the Holy Word through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're a different person if you spend an hour and a half in the Word of God. I, you know what? I just can't beat this into your head enough. You've got to be men and women of the Word. Otherwise, you're going with worldly wisdom. You can't help it. Turn that junk off. I almost said a bad word there. <laughs> well, I'm passionate about this. I feel like I preach this every week. You've got to be in the Word. You've got to be in the Word. By the way, scubala means crap. It's Hebrew. It's in the Bible. So even if I said the S-H word, it would be biblical. I told you we aren't perfect. <laughs> yeah. So first we have to be in the Word. All of us do, but especially pastors and elders, other deacons, anybody in leadership especially, but we all do. The second thing is that a pastor must come daily to the Word of God and examine themselves. A pastor has to come underneath the Word of God. See, it's not just knowing the Word of God. We come to this Word of God with a humble heart, asking God to break us, to mold us, to humble us, to convict us of our sin, to transform us more into the image of Jesus Christ. We need to be changed by the Word. Not, not just study... First uh, Corinthians chapter four one through five and be able to exegete the text that anybody can do with enough study, but to come prayed through, convicted of, changed by the word of God is a second responsibility. Or there's no power in the preaching if a pastor himself has not been broken by the word. And I confess, there's been times where I have come up here and I've given you a great speech, but I had not spent the time to be broken by the word. But I can tell you, more times than not, I pray to God and praise God, I am broken by the Word. So the second thing is he has to be transformed himself. He has to be broken by the Word and, and what, know what God wants to change in his life. Third is, the third thing about managing the Word of God effectively is they have to pray for what the message God wants to bring to you. See, because where God breaks me, and I've got, I have PowerPoints in here that you're not going to see because you know what? I realized that those, those particular slides were for me. They weren't for you. So the third thing is, is now that God's broken me by the word, the next question I have to ask God is, what does he want to bring to his family? What does he want to bring to the Oasis Church? What is the word he has for you? Are you with me on this? Because you know what? I don't know all your hearts. I don't know all your trials. 
I don't know all your tribulations. I don't know. Some of you right now are sitting here with unconfessed sins. Some of you are in terrible relationships. Some of you are thinking about running back to your sin. There's all kinds of stuff going on in our church every Sunday. But God knows. So the third thing is, is what does God want me to bring to this body? Are you with me? So that's the third thing a pastor has to pray to manage the word of God effectively. The fourth thing is a pastor must be courageous, bold, and obedient to all of the word of God. You know, it's quite tempting for a pastor not to preach the hard truths of the Word of God. And I can tell you there's times where, as we're systematically working our way through the Bible, there's a text that comes up, and I know there's going to be some people in the church that are going to be offended by this because of what they're doing in their lives. Are you with me on this? And you know what? What am I going to do? In love, in love, I have to preach that Word to them. And you know what happens more times than not? They never come back. They feel I'm judging them. Am I judging them? What's judging them? God is. The Word of God is judging them. But pastors have to be bold and courageous. You know, I'd love for them. You know, here's, here's, the, here's the temptation that runs through a, through a mind is that, you know, maybe I won't preach this this hard because I really want them to stay in the church a little longer so maybe they'll be saved and convicted of their own sin and they'll walk away from those adulterous sexual immorality or whatever's going on in their life. Are you with me? No. God says, no, that's not your choice. This is the text today. You must preach it. If they run and don't come back, that's between them and God. But you do it always in love. In love. So what, are the, what do we have so far? Pastor must know the Word of God inside and out. He must be transformed himself, being convicted as he studies the Word. He needs to pray about what message he would bring to the church. And the fourth one, he has to be uh, courageous, bold, and obedient to all of the Word of God, regardless of the consequences. And lastly, the fifth point here, if you're numbering these, as some of us must do. It's the way God made us. We need to number things. You okay with that? Yeah. So let me read the Great Commission to you to kind of set this up. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to know all that I have commanded you. Wait, what is wrong with that? What? Yes, number five. Well, no, no, that's, no, that's, no that's, that, don't worry, that's the setup for five. Don't worry, we're getting there. You're doing good. It, it, was that the proper translation of that verse? Let me read it to you again. You all know the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to know all the Word of God. What's wrong? To obey. Not to know to obey all the Word of God. So the fifth point of managing the Word of God is not just to get you to know the Word of God. We have, to, we have to work with you, discipling you, to help you obey all the Word of God. That is the hard work of ministry, by the way. Information's easy. Transformation's hard. And what does that mean? That means confronting sin in brothers' and sisters' lives. It's walking with them and with your arm around them, having breakfast with them. Live. That's what all the disciples do in this church. They, they life on life. Ralph's always driving somebody around or someone's at his house or whatever. That's, that's the hard part of the work is spending time with someone and helping them take in the Word of God and start to obey the Word of God. Okay. All Scripture is God breathed, used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's not just knowing the Word of God, it's living the Word of God. Let me give you this little thing that God laid on my heart. To know God's word is wonderful. To believe God's word is more wonderful. To live God's word is most wonderful. 
God gave that to me. I like that. You know, I'm not a poet. But... All right, let's go on to the third point. Is this making sense to everybody? Okay, so this one, he says, Moreover, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. What's that mean? So first is servants, galley slaves, under rowers. Second is, is we have to be managers of the word of God. The third thing is, is that, that we must be found faithful. Moreover. In other words, above these things, you must be found faithful. Let me ask you this. I, is, so if I'm a faithful servant for Christ and I'm a good manager of the word, but I live like hell, that's what it's talking about, right? I'm not faithful to what I'm teaching you. Do you want to follow a pastor like that? You see me at Miss Lee's every night? I'd probably be in a different bar, to be honest with you. <laughs> but the point is, is that if we're not living a faithful life, we're not setting the example for the church by doing what God calls them to do. So they must live out the word daily in their lives. They must be faithful to the word of God. They must be faithful prayer warriors for all of you, for, for, for their own lives, for their families, and they must walk According to the word of God, they must be obedient. Again, not perfect, but at least some sort of example for the body of Christ to see and to follow. Don't ever put a pastor on a pedestal. The person that will fall will be you. I remember this time early in my seminary days at Moody, one of the things we used to do is go to Lower Wacker. Does anybody know Lower Wacker? Yeah, Lower Wacker back then was a huge... Uh, you know, homeless community down there. It was like a city on Lower Wacker. And on a regular basis, especially cold months, uh, in seminar we had these big kitchen uh, grills and cooks, and we'd fill up our vans, and we'd all go down to Lower Wacker, set up a big kitchen, and we'd cook breakfast for everybody. We'd go wake up the, the people sleeping down there. You, Earl's been there. He's experienced that. It was a great, it was a great time because some guys I had to bring breakfast in bed to because they were too sick to get out of their boxes or whatever or under their blankets, so we'd bring them breakfast under there. But I remember the one, one, many of the guys would say, he goes, you know, many people come down here and say, here's a track for you, you know, a gospel track. He goes, what I like doing is watching people's tracks. I don't need your track. He said, you guys come down here to be the love of Jesus. You're not trying to shove little pieces of paper into our, our, bio, into our, our pockets. You're trying to come here and love on us and show us who Jesus is by how we live our lives. And I bring that illustration up because it's such a beautiful one in that uh, it's not so much what we say, but it's what we, who we are and what we do. It's who we are when no one else is even looking who are we, right? That's an indication of someone that is faithful to God. It's not a show. It's a way of life. And a pastor must be faithful. Amen. Steamer. I'm going to steamer again. I used Maurice a couple times, and it doesn't feel good with me. I've got to go back to steamer. Okay, brother. He says you've got to walk the walk and talk the talk. Okay, I think that's enough. I think you got the point there. Let's go to the next fourth point, last point. I'm feeling good today, time-wise, right? So the fourth one is focus, focus. How about this? How does this sit with you? But... With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. <laughs> How does that feel? 
if I said to you, by the way, it's a very small thing for you to give me any kind of criticism or encouragement. You okay with that? <laughs> That's not what he's saying. But here's the reality is that Let me give you some classifications. I'm setting this up for you a little bit. This is just from my experience. People come and I've received countless criticism and countless encouragement for my almost 30 years in ministry now. I've seen both, lots of both. And I've come to categorize them in three ways. I'll start with criticism. Criticism comes to me and some of it is of Satan. You okay with that? But no, no, yeah, I'm not going to take it in, but I'm just saying some of it's, you have to imagine that sometimes people come up here and they're tools of Satan and they, they speak a word in me to discourage me, to, to uh, take this, the wind out of my sail, to, to discourage me, to, to distract me, to deceive me. And, and so that's one kind of criticism I've received in 30 years. The second one is differences. We don't all have the same personalities. We don't all have the same natural gifting. We don't all have the same background. There's a lot of differences in us, right? So a second type of criticism I get is often, often uh, people don't like who I am. No, I mean, just the way I am, my personality, my intensity, whatever it is. That's okay. That's the second type. And the third type is wonderful. It's, it's God-led, God-centered criticism. And it's wonderful. I can tell you that it's dramatically changed my life. The third group has. The second group, the temptation is to change who I am, which I'm not going to do, because I like the way God made me, even with its flaws and weaknesses. I, I'm, not, I'm not going to become someone I'm not, because if I become someone I'm not, then I'm nothing. So I have to be who he made me to be. It's not always pretty. I understand. I almost said a bad word today. That's, that's who I am. But the reality is, is, so the first one is of Satan. The second one is differences in just who we are. The third one is of God, and is very helpful and useful to receive those. Never let your pride not to take those in, amen? So the point what Paul's making is he gets these, and now encouragement can be the same thing. It can be of Satan because it's flattery where Satan's trying to build up my pride in me, right? It can be flattery about the, the skills and gifts that God gave me so that I will take credit for them. And the third encouraging is, is God has sent so many faithful encouragers to me at exactly the right time I needed them because God knowed I need, he knew I needed to be encouraged because I was running out of wind myself. They're wonderful. They're blessings. Because it's just like, you know what? Even this might surprise you, but I want to quit sometimes. Does anybody else want to quit? We all want to quit sometimes. But at the right time, God always sends a messenger and says, listen, Stay in the fight. Keep fighting. Keep going. Don't give up. Amen, Joe? Amen. So those are the three types. And so what is he saying? That He's saying, when he says this, uh, what does it say? I give it. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. What is he saying? He said, it, it, the reality is, is we take them all in, but what we do is we go before the Lord and we let him filter those. Are you with me on this? I take all the stuff, because I, I don't know initially, is it, is it of Satan, is it differences, or it is of God? So I go before God and cry, God, you know, this is what's laid on my heart. Is there something that needs to change in my life? Is there something that I'm not doing right? Could I be a better pastor? Could I be a better preacher? Could I be a better husband? Could I be a better father? Whatever it is, what do you want to change in me, God? Change me. 
And, and by the way, all of us should be every day getting on our knees or our faces and saying, God, Holy Spirit, search me and reveal to me the sin that I am unaware of that lives within me. Search me and reveal to me the idols that are in my life that I don't see. Do we all not need to do that? We all do. We all have blind sides. So as people criticize or encourage what Paul is really saying here, focus is the word I'm using for this, focus. I'm not, gonna, I'm not taking it in. I'm going to hold it loosely in my hands. I'm going to go before the cross of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to let him determine what needs to change in me. And you all need to be doing the same thing. I told you, all men have a good plan for your life. But you need to be discerning these things, what people say about you. Don't let it go to pride. Don't be discouraged by the lies of Satan as he tells you to stop doing what God called you to do. So we all need to filter those through, amen? That's the focus. And I already said this, but it's, in fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but, but I'm here thereby, uh, I am not thereby acquitted. So what, he's, what I just told you is there's things inside of us we don't see as we cry out to God to reveal them to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will reveal them. So, there, so, so the point is, is that many times we're walking around with what we think is a clear and clean conscience. Are you with me on this? But as we cry out to the Holy Spirit, he reveals sin in our life. And I can tell you as a personal testimony, he has dropped some bombs on me from time to time. Things I did not see in my life that were living within me. Are you, you good with that? Has that happened to you? I pray it has. You think you're smoking along for Jesus and all of a sudden, boom, right? So that's what's going on there. It's the Lord who judges me. Last verse here for our time is it says First uh, Corinthians four five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. This is not talking about sin, by the way, and disclose the purpose of the heart. He's talking about the motivations behind people's heart. Don't be passing judgment before Jesus comes back. Then each one will receive his commendation from the Lord. He's talking about the beam of seat of Jesus again, as he was just a few weeks ago. So. The point is, is that we have to, brothers and sisters, this is kind of a warning to the church, is that we have to be careful about what we say into other people's lives. We have to be careful in what we say. See, so I just told you the three types of counsel I get, whether it's criticism or encouragement. We've got to be careful with what we say to other brothers and sisters. We don't want to be tools of Satan. You know, and you got you have to pray for it yourself before you go to a brother and sister and say, Lord, is this something you really want me to say to that brother or sister in Christ? Do I need to get into their kitchen about this? Confirm it to me, because I don't want to be used by Satan, and I don't want to be pointing out differences of people based on personalities, natural gifting, or something else. I don't want to fall into that trap either. I only want to share the things that God wants me to share with a brother and sister in Christ. And that's what he's warning. He said, Be careful. He said, Because of the day of judgment. The true motivations of the heart will be revealed. And let me tell you this. I know for a fact we will all have regrets of the things we've said to other brothers and sisters. As the light comes and we see the true motivations of the heart, we'll be convicted by what we said to them. You good with us? So what are the things we need to evaluate pastors on? Service. 
service stewardship, faithfulness, focus, beautiful. Service again, I'm going to hit you one more time. So I know how our memories are. You're going to forget most of this by the time you walk out of here. Service is that galley slave, those under rowers. A, a pastor or elder has to be completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. And, and it's Christ and Christ alone. And he lives to the audience of one, that kind of picture you have. By the way, is that true for every Christian? Yeah, we all should be sold out to Jesus living to the audience of one. Second one is stewardship, manages the word of God. I gave you five points. One is they need to know the word. Second, they need to be transformed by the word. Third, they need to pray to what word to bring to you. Fourth, they have to have courage and boldness to bring the word. And fifth, they have to help you be transformed through discipleship to live the word. That's stewardship. And the last thing is focus. Don't take criticism and encouragement carefully. Give out criticism and encouragement carefully. But always pray to the Lord and obey him. If he wants you to, criti- to give some constructive criticism, do it. If he wants you to give you some encouraging words, do it. There it is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. All of us pastors and elders and deacons and really every, everyone in here cries out to you that these truths would be, be true in us. That we'd all be above reproach. We'd all be men and women of the word good managers of the Word of God, that we turn off our TVs, our social media, and, and spend more time with you, that, that eternal reward of spending time with you that we don't get in anywhere else. And Lord, I pray that we'd all be encouragers and, and also bring constructive criticism as you lead. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.